take the usual podcast hosting companies and you'll stay in expensive wonderland. Take the podcast of Matrix Hosting and you'll experience a completely different world of whole podcast library hosting. Choose wisely at podcastmatrix.com. That's podcastmatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. The stories of serial murderers are popular, especially those written by acclaimed crime biographer Alex Dent. His writings are gritty, detailed, and feature stylings that almost make you think he was there when the victims took their last breath. You see, sometimes the pen is mightier than the sword. It's time for the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, this time season three, episode 10, Mightier Than the Sword. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. Those that have been listening for a while, I want to make sure to urge you to go and listen to our John Dela May interview episode. We're going to link it up inside the show notes. Again, it was an epic episode where we get to talk to the man that preceded Johnny inside this episode. That's right. There was another lead male actor before <laughs> Johnny Ventura, played by Steve Monarch, and it was Ryan the Lion Dalian. And you can listen to that by going to the show notes for this episode over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. The Spookies. For those of you that have forgotten or didn't know, Nick is the host and creator of TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com. And over at TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com, they've recently released this year's Spookies. Nick, detail, por favor. That's right. Third annual Spooky Awards, where we take a look at the year's past horror films mm -hmm. and we uh, put them through the ringer. Uh, essentially, it's the Academy Awards for Horror Lovers. Yeah. Because, unfortunately, nobody does that anymore. There used to be award shows for horror movies, specifically, and uh, uh, n no longer. That's sad. And uh, me and my uh, my co-host, Jason Contini, we decided that will not stand. It's a little bit like the Oscars. Uh, we, do, we don't have as many categories. Uh, some of the other categories that... Do your shows last seven and a half hours? Like no, the and there's no oh. acceptance speeches. Oh, wow. The great thing about it is, is that it is all up to the fans. It is an online voting award show to where uh, we uh, post on our social media outlets, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagram. Mm -hmm. We tell you who the nominees are. 
you get to vote who you liked best, mm-hmm. and then we tally the votes up and uh, we put on a little awards video on the YouTube. Yeah. And what I want to emphasize for everybody is that while there are definitely elements of horror inside of Friday the 13th, there are definitively horror fans that listen to this show. Mm-hmm. And so pretty please go check out twoguystalkinghorror.com's Spookies Awards and be sure to take your time to vote. Uh, learning more about the Spookies, but also the education that's bestowed inside the Spookies is easily the biggest get of twoguystalkinghorror.com. We'll have links to all of this inside the show notes for this episode. Nick, a ton to get to inside the retail for this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. Fletcher, die! Time for the sage activity of comeuppance! It's time for an execution! You see, Clint Fletcher has murdered 16 young women, and there's a protest outside the prison because killing murderers is good! But wait! There's two more victims that aren't yet on the slab, at least according to crime biographer Alex Dent, that is! You see, he helped catch the murderer, and is now on hand to watch him die this night! Dent casually visits Fletcher in his cell, and as the guards leave, Dent uncorks a classic ink-drawn fountain pen and thrusts just the tip of the pen into Fletcher's neck and siphons out blood and evil murder juice from the soon-to-be-executed murderer. Fletcher's eyes roll back in his head, and he suddenly has a complete change of demeanor. He actually doesn't know where he is, and wait a minute... He doesn't realize that he's about to be executed for the 16-18 murders he's committed? Hello? Clint Fletcher is literally dragged to the gas chamber, screaming and pleading for help. The door to the gas chamber closes. The clock strikes midnight. The system is engaged, and Clint Fletcher, apparent murderer of 16 to 18 young women, dies by Zyklon B. Later, as a nondescript on-hand priest and Dent leave the prison, they discuss evil. Crime biographer Dent thinks that evil left his mind and went to someone else's. You see, evil is a disease. Dent would like to discuss it further with the random, not at all suspicious priest. And as the priest leans over to grab his business card, Dent injects Father Nobody with the murderer juice from the fountain pen he just used on Fletcher. The nondescript priest quickly recovers and leaves in his car and will be a new man in the morning, but also the next bestseller. Over at the Curious Good Shop, our intrepid threesome are contemplating their next activity. Time to witness Alex Dent, a crime biographer who's speaking at a local hotel down the street. Amazing! Very cool! Mickey decides to join Jack and Johnny, and they head out! Inside the speaking engagement, Dent is preaching to the choir of those interested in crime biographies. It's a piece of the disease! But inside the audience, a man takes Dent to task. He thinks that the more books you sell, the more misery there is. The man is Jerry Fletcher. He's Clint Fletcher's brother! Dent quickly puts down Jerry once and for all publicly, and then has him removed. Dent then announces, There's another serial killer on the loose. He's a minister or a priest, and now hunts those he sought to help. By day, a man of God. But at night, he transforms into an angel of death. 
Dent predicts that one of those nights will be tonight. Jack and Johnny and Mickey visit with Dent, who makes a move on Mickey and fosters antiques with his love of real pens and paper. Later, Jerry Fletcher meets up with Dent and wants answers. Oh, Jerry, you want answers? No problem. I'll give them to you. Why don't you meet me later for a drink at the Neon Gargoyle? A drink at the Neon Gargoyle? What could possibly go wrong? Jack and Johnny and Mickey talk about the potential of the killer striking again tonight. All three worry that it will be sensational and unfortunately accurate. Dent, now back at his hotel apartment, begins to write a deeply disturbing narrative, a story that will propel the priest to murder Jerry Fletcher. And suddenly, Fletcher meets a vengeful father who is carrying the resurrection of life and a pistol. He continues to write about the killer contacting Dent directly. The next morning, Mickey's got a newspaper with details of a new murder. It's all too coincidental. Time to let the hunt for clues and tethers begin. Later that morning, at a press conference, the local PD sleuth Detective Adams is sharing details. Mr. Dent is being utilized as a consultant, but will now grab the mic and speak boldly over me and not do as I instructed him to do before this press conference, which was not to tell you anything. Mr. Dent grabs the microphone and is speaking boldly about the murder, the murderer, and the catching of the Angel of Death. You see, the Angel of Death has asked to speak directly to Dent in person. And if there's a chance to stop the killings, Dent will hopefully help put the Angel of Death behind bars and collect even more acclaim and prestige. Just then, some woman in curlers at home watching the press conference on TV watches Dent and says... Boy, won't you be surprised to see me? Who is she? What's this story? We'll find out as this episode unfolds. Detective Adams also mentions that he's in charge. I am in charge. And that he'll get his man. And I will get my man. Later inside the Curious Kid shop, Jack, Mickey, and Johnny are poring over the manifest. You see, Jack, Mickey, and Johnny are contemplating tethers, people, and pen names. Gnome de plumes that might be used to hide information about the murders that are all too coincidental. They find that a pen was sold to a man. A man named Billy Frazier? Huh? Who could that be? Hmm. I guess we'll find out later inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. At the Plan to the Teeth murderer meetup, the police allow Dent to enter into the meeting zone. But then, the police move in after the wired contact to Dent is lost. Dent quickly finds a cozy, smoky corner of an alley and begins to write once again. Time for Detective Adams to die at the hand of the Angel of Death. What in the world? The priest murders the detective, and Dent then sucks the murder juice out of the priest, all of which is witnessed by Johnny. Johnny races over to Jack and urges him to leave quickly so that he can share what he's seen. Murder, murder most foul and more. 
it's time to understand more about the lady in curlers. You see, her name is Marion, who has now arrived at Dent's hotel apartment to confront him and put her plan into action. As Dent greets his old friend, Marion, we, the audience, come to realize that this is Dent's wife? Oh, but, but it's Billy Frazier's wife. Hmm, we've heard that name before. Where have we heard that name before? Why, we heard it in the previous scene located at the Curious Goods shop. That's an amazing coincidence. She says that she wants to give it another go and maybe get some of the money that he's made after taking on the persona and writability of one Alex Dent. Not as Billy Frazier, the smutty crime novelist. Ha! Smut King extraordinaire! <laughs> Mickey witnesses this whole conversation and is now in peril by default. Mickey makes her way into a dark stairwell and the lights go off. That's never a good sign. She is overtaken by Alex Billy Fraser Dent and is subsequently given the murder juice from the murderous juice fountain pen. Time for Mickey to become the most recent serial killer. Later at the Curious Goods shop, Johnny is sharing all the details of what he saw and that he believes that the priest didn't know anything about the murders. You see, the control is coming from the pen. It would seem that Dent uses the pen to control his victim into killing for him. Maybe he's actually writing the murder himself. Mugged Mickey stumbles into the Curious Goods shop and <gasps> was she mugged by, I don't know, Alex Dent? She's not too sure and only wants to go to sleep. Red flag. Well, yeah, I mean, you get hit in the head, you really don't want to go to sleep right away. I mean, you could have a concussion, especially <laughs> when you're wandering around in dark stairwells. Back in his hotel apartment-based writer's study, it's time for Dent to write Mickey's killing chapter, a slashing chapter. He begins to write with the fountain pen -o death, and as he does, a story of transformation and murder exudes gloriously from his hand to the pen, into paper, and so... It begins. Mickey awakens, and as she looks at herself drunkenly in the mirror, she spies and reaches for Jack's straight razor. Her new implement, oh death! She caresses its edge, and as dense writings continue, Jack makes his way from a recently locked Curious Goods shop door. Mickey, I thought you were going to bed. I'm not really that tired anymore. You should get some sleep. She begins to tell the tale of Marion, Dent, and thereby Frazier's wife. She believes Marion is trying to blackmail Dent, and as the creepy scene continues, will she kill Jack? Will she fulfill the story written and prophesied in blood by Dent? By killing Jack? Nope. Whew. That was close. The next morning, Jack and Johnny are contemplating what's going on. After Mickey informed me that Alex Dent is really Bill Fraser, the smutty crime novelist, I've been reading one of his books. He's obsessed with murder and the act of watching it. Well, you heard what he was saying during that Q&A we went to the other night, right? It was like he was in the killer's head, like he was there. Maybe he was. Maybe he wants to actually watch the murders. Come on, we must wake Mickey up. They go to awaken Mickey, but alas, she is gone. 
Mickey is out street walking. Ha ha. And she enters a club. Club Colby. As she saunters inside, a mustachioed man offers her a cigarette. As Dent continues to write the tale, Jack and Johnny are searching for her via telephone. But they realize that all who are suspicious of Dent eventually are made out to be killers by Dent. As he uses the pen to control their murderous intent. The man in the bar makes his move with Mickey, who slices his hand open with Jack's straight razor. That's not very neighborly. You see, it's a torturous precursor to murder. Johnny and Jack somehow instantly see a news bulletin featuring a black and white sketch that features a slashing woman that looks suspiciously like Mickey. As Dent's writing continue, he crafts with words Mickey's first murder victim. One, Marion Frazier. Of course she is, because, I mean, that makes absolute sense. Jack and Johnny are still seeking out Mickey, and they get to Dent's hotel apartment, and he continues to write, which compels Mickey to head towards Marion's apartment. Dent rings up Marion to inform her that... There's someone coming with something you'll truly appreciate and deserve, sweet, sweet Marion. Mickey arrives and asks if she can come in. She does. Jack and Johnny decide to call Marion's house, but the line goes dead, thanks to the straight razor that Mickey uses to cut the line. Now it's time to cut something else. Mickey moves in for the kill, but Marion is too elusive. Then Dent arrives to hold Marion in place and then compels Mickey to make Marion a work of art. As Marion struggles in his arms, Dent slash Fraser drops the fountain pen of death and control of murderous Mickey goes haywire. He then winds up tossing Marion down a flight of stairs. Whoops. With Mickey's quarry now apparently having been killed by Alex Billy Fraser Dent and the pen now out of anyone's direct control, her focus turns to him. She slashes Alex Billy Fraser Dent's back. And front, and sides, and face, and hands. It's not pretty, but it's pretty cool looking on the screen. And as her assault continues, she swings and slashes. And as Jack and Johnny break in, they need to utilize the same evil fountain pen sucking power that Johnny witnessed previously. They shove the pen into Mickey's neck and extract the terrible murder juice. And while one has fallen at her hand, she is now safe and able to live another day. Having saved Mickey's life, but not her current psyche, the curse good for this episode is... Recovered! The next morning, former murderous Mickey enjoys a snack from Jack, but doesn't. Do you want to talk about it? You see, Mickey killed someone. Not on her own volition, but still. She killed someone! And then she quickly slits Jack's throat. No! It's just a dream. Oh. Never mind. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series has goods and bads. It's time to focus on the good. The item itself. Who hasn't wanted the power of the pen? Nick, as writers, both you and I, we appreciate the ability to storytell mm -hmm. with the writing of pens. I have to tell you, it's one of my favorite activities that we do inside of this 
series of podcasts because you and I completely from stem to stern write out the retells. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they are glorious and they're fun. And they take people on a trip and adventure. And if we peel back all the layers of the onion going on here with Alex Dent slash Billy Frazier, it's exactly the same thing where he is hoping to transport an audience into a place based on his writings. Now, ours have no murder intent with them. Right, right. But we hope to transport people when we write our retells inside of the the episodes of the Curious Kids podcast as well. And so there is some... There is that akin something inside the power of usage of the pen, and I I loved it inside this episode. It's wonderfully represented. Just uh, it went way off the death curve or the death cliff inside this one, but I love the power and I love the contemplation of being able to craft a story and take people on an adventure. And we see a guy that takes it just to the the utmost level inside this episode. There's a lot of levels of psychology that you could fold into this one too. Oh yeah, you know when you find out that Dent was Billy Fraser and he wrote smutty, lowbrow crime slashers which more glorified the act of the 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 murder and torture itself Mm -hmm. than solving a case or anything like that it shows how dent now with this ability gets to live out this sick twisted fantasy Mm -hmm. and and it it progresses as uh, we learn about the character you know he's already written three books each of these serial killers he's written about are more brutal than the next, and he's getting more and more brazen to where he wants to insert himself into the narrative. And we, we've seen stuff like this before. Uh, go, go all the way back to season one uh, in uh, Double Exposure, mm. where mm. the news anchor uses the cursed antique camera to create a photocopy of himself to be a controlled murderer, a serial mm. killer, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that he can report that on the news and become your know, number, number one news reporter. Mm-hmm. Okay, totally understand. Hell, let's stay in season one. Let's go to episode two, the poison pen, a pen that gives you the ability to write what you want to happen. You just got to kill people. Mm-hmm. So w- this is nothing new. It is, though, something different. They've taken us in a different direction because of the actual character of Alex Dent. Mm-hmm. You know, the other ones, it was all about fame and glory. This guy, oh, yeah, sure, he likes the fame. He likes the glory. He likes the money. He likes the the torture. He's, he's, a, he's a psychopath who hides the fact that he's a psychopath by, I understand the mind of a killer. Well, no, you have the mind of a killer. You just don't have the balls to do it yourself. Mm-hmm. So you got yourself a nice little cursed item. And you get to watch from afar. What I also like, too, is that, unfortunately, as actual writing and utilizing a pen skill set disappears, I'm like, seriously, mm. it, it was a it was a fading thing as I finished high school. I remember writing all of my term papers in pen mm-hmm. and then needing the transition to my last final term paper by typing on a typewriter. And then into computers as I've entered into college. And that was awesome. Typing class was a lot of fun. Mrs. Squida. She rifled me through every task. And I'm certain I still don't type right. But it was it was a ton of fun. And I liked learning how to type. But I do miss that pressing of the pen to paper. And especially as a cartoonist myself, I, there is something that is tangible about taking a pen and making something with your hand. Again, as as handwriting is lost... 
and cursive writing, which is also featured inside this episode, is mm-hmm. very quickly lost. Yeah, it's not, I, I still, anything I write first draft-wise is always on paper. Yeah, and that's good. I For those that are listening, I realize how easy it is, and I do realize how easy it is. Nick, again, Nick and I write these every single time we, we write the retail. It's written from nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I understand the ability to quickly scribe, I don't know, there's probably... 30 paragraphs of stuff that we write. Right, yeah. And I I get the speed with which you're offered. But man, there's that tangible piece that is completely missing. And uh, it it is tangible. That's actually a strange call to the audience. I want you guys to tell us about what you guys get out of writing. Let us know what you think by going over to our website over at CuriousKidsPodcast.com and tell us what you remember about actually holding a frickin' pen. Successful recycling of previous actors inside the show. What? This is in the goods? How could this possibly be in the goods? Who How- wrote this? <laughs> How could Nicholas J. Hearn have possibly authorized the green light for something good about recycling of actors? I didn't. Where's my lawyer? <laughs> no, and, I did. And, and the answer is because it's really, yeah, really good yeah, inside this episode. Yeah. Confior is a master actor and mm-hmm. when you when you have the chops and the abilities that someone like he has to fold himself into a role like this one yep it it's a piece of magic and between the incredible visages we we see inside this episode and the pen itself and the concept of someone crafting a story in particular someone who prior to his Newfound, incredibly prolific crime biographer-ness was simply a smutty crime novelist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect inside this episode. And the great thing about it is, is that visually, the only thing different between this character and the character that he portrayed in The Maestro... Tights? The cane. Oh, the cane! You're so right! So we had the cane and the limp. yes. And and, and, and and everything and that comes with that. Yeah, and a completely different speaking cadence inside right, that as well. Right, yes. And uh, no, you're absolutely right. That does. it. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes when they recycle actors, they have them dye their hair, maybe put on a different wig, mm, mm. shave, or grow the facial hair out. This, absolutely nothing except for the type of costuming and a limp and a cane. And that right there shows just how awesome... Colm is as an actor. The style of the episode. We just briefly mentioned this, but I wanted to make sure we focus on what you actually see inside this episode. This is why this show has me, even if we take some of the now later episodes that feature Johnny and the, in my opinion so far, not so, not nearly as interesting as when we had Ryan inside the show Mm -hmm. storytelling. But it all looks gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, like, I can't think of a scene we had inside this episode where I go, ew. I mean, none. Mm -hmm. And it's where I love seeing everybody that's included in the show has everybody's game on high. Because it shows. Yeah. Well, I wonder, I, I, I almost wonder if it was a budget thing or if it was intentional. There is a, a melding of two forms of filmmaking here. There is the crime noir feel mm, yeah. that we get yep. a little bit of, but then there's also the exploitation feel that we mm. get. There's a, there's another piece in there too. Marion, her 
visage, her whole thing, fits incredibly the girlfriend slash eventual wife of a smutty crime novelist. You know, primped, ultra-long, dark, curly hair, Mm -hmm. wants more, can't possibly have enough, and there she is. So I I love that as well. Again, incredibly well-rounded painting in every direction, and I love that. That's where we ask you, what did you think was positive about this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website, that's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Every episode of Friday the 13th series comes with goods and bads. We've covered the goods, now let's take a look at the not-so-goods. All too cocky villains. Mmm, cocky. Extremely cocky. And this is, it could have been in the good. But I agree unfor- with that. But unfortunately, that. it became a hindrance for the character to where it's like, okay, you're not stupid. You used to do this for a living. You used to write the, the, the smutty crime novels. So you would know about evidence and how yeah. to distance yourself and things like that. And Alex Dent doesn't do any of that. Yeah. More and more throughout this episode, we watch him insert himself into the narrative so that instead of writing about a serial killer, now he gets to put himself in the narrative when he writes the book as well. He 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 wants to be closer to the action in real life, not just controlling things from the sidelines. He wants to be there. There's no more sidelines. It's it, he is literally one step away from being the killer himself, but he's not handling it smartly. Mm-hmm. And because of his cockiness, there are a whole bunch of WTF moments towards the end of this episode that I just slap my forehead to and going like, "Oh come on!" Yeah. There's a very interesting Netflix series, I think, that deals with a convict that was originally fingered for an enormous amount of murders. Mm. And I've, I've seen it in the last six months, and I just, the, the, the name of it and all doesn't, doesn't instantly come back to me. But what does come back to me is that all of it was predicated on the fact that the individual inside of law enforcement was the one pressing. And then the convict was essentially saying, yes, I did that. And until somebody started detailing and trying to put together the math of the convict traveling 1400 miles in a series of a couple of days, that's when it all started to not ring true. Mm -hmm. And this is that kind of backwards piece where he wants so much to be, at the center and he suddenly loses all perspective of what's going on because he needs to be at the center. And eventually with Marion, he ends up being not only at the center, but he ends up tossing his wife down the stairs. (laughs) And it it is, it it instantly becomes those, those WTF moments that you're talking about. And I think, especially in the case of many people that ended up killing people, I think that they are WTF moments. While there are people that go out and murder people, they're out there. Mm -hmm. There's no question. They're out there. But I think the vast majority of them are these WTF moments that just instantly turn sour and bad. Mm -hmm. And this guy loves to revel in it until he doesn't love reveling in it. No regard for evidence. Oi. 
Now, I realize it's 1989. We haven't gotten any CSI shows on TV just yet. Right. But you're not going to tell me that the idea of forensic evidence was something that people in Hollywood would know about. Uh, Even if you don't write it yourself, maybe pick up the phone and go, Hey, buddy, I'm writing a script for this show called Friday the 13th, the series, and we're going to be doing some murder stuff. Oh, yeah, murder stuff. Yeah, murder stuff. <laughs> hey, I know you're into the uh, writing all that stuff for them cop shows. Any any tips? Any advice? We didn't get any of that because the, the two biggest ones. So before Mickey shows up to Marion's apartment, wherever she's staying, Alex calls her from his hotel room. Yeah. Not so right awesome. Before, yeah, not so, I mean, boom, right there. It would have made more sense. Go down to the hotel. Even if you were going downstairs to the hotel lobby, you're in the hotel, but that's still, that's circumstantial evidence. There are literally hundreds of other people that are in that hotel. Go down the street. Use a pay phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then you're totally fine. But no, you use your the, the phone in your hotel room. I, I can overlook that. It's a little stupid, but I'll overlook that. What I cannot overlook, the ending of this episode when they save Mickey from the murder juice by sucking it back into the pen, she drops Jack's straight razor and leaves it at the scene of the fucking crime. <laughs> you know, the implement that has just ripped to shreds Alex Dent. And nobody was thinking about, oh, maybe we should take the murder weapon with us. Because let us not forget, there's already a pretty good sketch of Mickey... From when she slashed that guy's hand earlier in the episode. So, I'm sorry. An APB is definitely out on a suspicious-looking, big-haired redhead. <laughs> and and she's, she's going to need to lay low for a while. Kooky dream bullshit. I want to go on the record, just because it's not already clear enough, that I despise this kind of thing. In any storytelling. I understand that it has a place, quote, in horror storytelling, and I, I hate it. I, I, I hate it because, especially in a series like this one, where it just seems stupid. And I, I, w- I would have loved something more more poignant at the end, rather than just this hellacious, Mickey has a nightmare and slashes Jack Stark, and then she wakes up! Ah. Oh, no, I agree. I would rather have had some sort of wrap-up. You know, them watching a news report of what has, you know, oh, so, you know, uh, crime novelist Alex Dent, later to be found out as smut writer Billy Frazier, found dead in the apartment of his estranged wife, blah, blah, blah. There needs to be, I would have liked some sort of explanation of what happened after they left the bodies, and maybe they were worried about something or maybe, you know, no, no, no suspects are are, uh, are being looked at as of right now. But blah, 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 blah. And no, we get this this tease, this it, it's like we have this great concept of an episode and everything is going great. And then for some strange reason, somebody decide, oh, wait, the show's name is Friday the 13th, the series. Will you remember what Friday the 13th, the original movie was famous for? That f***ing jump scare at the end of the movie. And then they give us this. Hated it. It does not fit. Or, or I would say, it could fit. 
not in this episode. It just does not work. It, it not only does it not fit, it doesn't give me any any progression for Mickey. It definitely doesn't give me any progression for Jack because I mean he's there to console her at the end. I I don't know. I I, I for everything that we saw and especially the stuff that was painted so wonderfully inside this episode to kind of punt at the end I just left a bad taste in my mouth I didn't care for it those are the things that we felt needed a little bit of work inside this episode of Friday the 13th the series but we want to know what you thought could use some polish head on over to our website at curiousgoodspodcast.com and let us know what you thought was bad it's time to take a break here during the Curious Goods Podcast we will be Right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com what comes to mind when you hear the word horror is it a book you read in the dead of night that creeped you out is it the memories of the monsters you were sure lived under your bed Is it a film filled with blood and gore, all thanks to a crazed killer? Join me, Nicholas J. Hearn, and my guests as we ask the really terrifying question, What scares you? Only on Two Guys Talking Horror. TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com That's TwoGuysTalkingHorror.com Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. This is John D. LeMay, and you're listening to the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Everyone, welcome back to the Curious Kids Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 10. Mightier than the sword. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to break out our manifest moments. The manifest moments are where Nick and I detail either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element inside this episode, or something else that tripped our collective review night fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Well, for this episode, Mike, I think my manifest moment has to go to the almost 
great performance given by Roby under the influence of the pen. Mm. And I say almost. I make it my manifest moment because I want to talk about it. Okay. I think, and, and, and I know it'll be because of the director. The director told her how to do it like this. And, you know, as an actor, there's a little get, bit of give and take. But at the end of the day, you got to listen to your director. Mm -hmm. So I, I felt Mickey under the influence. There was this... There was this opportunity that was kind of lost for her to play, in a sense, evil Mickey. We get a little bit of that in the scene in the bar at uh, Club Kobe, where she's uh, she's flirting and, and, and playing a little cat and mouse with the mustachioed man. And I feel like had we gotten more of that mm -hmm. throughout the episode, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, I wish Mickey would have been you know infected with the evil juice early on. Mm. I think her dealing with a slew of bodies, well, okay, maybe not a slew, like maybe one or two, two or three for this episode, to where, oh, there's another murderer. Who could it be? And they're all literally just going like, oh, we, we don't know what's going on, but it's Mickey. Mickey is the murderer, but they don't, you know, Jack and Johnny aren't suspecting her, and they're on the trail. And I feel like we could have had a really great performance from Roby had the writing and the directing been just a little bit different. Did I hate what I saw? No, not at all. But I know there could, it could have been more. And uh, the, the want for something more is my manifest moment. Mm, that's a good one. And I, again, I, I love the contemplative moments you and I have where we can stretch outside the bounds of the episode that was mm. and kind of go where it would have gone maybe. I love that. I love that. I also love that if you could have been able to extend somehow her murder impetus, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. I, I don't know how that, but that I think that would have been a very interesting plight and one that could have been reflected even more as we get to the crescendo of the episode. Yep. I, I, I think that's a great one. I think my manifest moment for this episode has got to be being desk side for the writings of a murderer. And what I mean by this, do you remember in A Christmas Story when Ralphie is trying to use a little little orphan Annie decoder ring yeah. to figure out what... Decipher the code, yeah. Right, decipher from, the code. From the uh, radio drama. Okay, well, what I appreciated about every section where where Confiora is writing inside of this is that that is exactly what you get, where the only thing that's missing is his tongue is not sticking out of his face. <laughs> Because he's so ravenous, he's so in I'm concentrating, ab really absolutely yeah. locked in on writing, and it looks as though they just very quickly made the writing a little bit faster than human mm -hmm. to to just to propel. Keeps like a man it. possessed, right? Exactly, and yeah. I really appreciated that because mm. without the whole murder part. I've actually had sessions like that when I'm writing something. Oh like, yeah, when do, when it's uh, coming, when when you're trying to get it to come out as fast as it's going through your head. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there, and anybody who is a writer, whether you're using a pen or not, you've all had that moment, and I'm really appreciative that they captured it at least several times inside mm, this episode. Yeah, yeah. Again, the difference: no murderous intent. <laughs> and that is my manifest moment. That's where we ask you guys, what is your manifest moment for this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Vocabulary. Ah, the vocabulary. The words that make Nick and Mike brain go round. The first word we have today is... Over. 
dramatic. The dictionary gives us the definition of this word as excessively dramatic or exaggerated. No shit. Yeah, boy, that's amazing. <laughs> I also have no idea where these statements and or characterizations could be used because nobody ever calls me overdramatic. Oh, no, ever. no, not at all. The second word inside today's vocabulary section is... Nom de plume. Ah, the love of writing always features, or often features, a nom de plume, which is a pen name. I've never used a nom de plume. I sometimes wish that I had had a nom de plume to lean on, but alas, <laughs> I have not utilized a nom de plume in my writing career. I have... And if I told you what it was, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> oh, good. Just kidding. Or am I? <laughs> but see, then it would fit into this episode. It Friday would. the 13th series. Totally. That's where we ask you guys, what vocabulary did you glean from this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousKidsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what vocabulary ignites your brain. Ah, the rating for this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. Writing the next page-turning smutty crime novel. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale. Realizing that after the peril, drama, and murder inside this episode, it's all just been a dream. Everything starts as a 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick... There are no habsies. Nick, what do you got? I, I mean, I can uh, sum this up real easy. Uh-oh. This episode was absolutely great until the end. <laughs> I mean, seriously, the last minute and a half? Gasp. Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. just, let's just say the last 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll even round it up to the full two minutes. The last two minutes of this episode mm-hmm. ruined it for me. I agree. Now, I'm not going to penalize the episode for those last two minutes mm-hmm. as much as I could. I cannot give this episode what it deserves, but I will give it what it has earned. And that is an eight. An eight for this episode. Well, you, sir, are out of your tree. This episode deserves a ten. Just kidding. It's just a dream. <laughs> it's just a dream. Uh, and remember that not the whole episode was a dream. Just just her slitting Jack's throat was a dream. That's that, that, I, that's what we're saying here. I love everything that's provided inside of this episode, from the item itself mm-hmm. to the overarch of the people that are put into place to be murdered and or become murderers. I love involving Mickey inside of a vein of storytelling that she is not nearly used nearly enough inside mm-hmm. this series. Oh, yeah. I love the revisit of Confiore. I love Jack's interaction ability inside of this. I also love that Johnny actually has some use inside of here. He yep. is a functional tattletale, for lack of a better <laughs> term. So they've given him activity inside of this as well. And were it not for the worthless, uh, dull-pointed, thudding end of this episode, this would be a 10. So I'm going to chuck it up a notch. And it's not a dream. I give this episode a 9. That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode? Season 3, episode 10. Mightier than the sword. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousKidsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. 
uh, the end of yet another Curious Goods podcast. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. As Mike sat alone in the podcast studio, contemplating his previous review of the Friday the 13th, the series episode, with his co-host, Nicholas J. Hearn, there was a knock at the door. Mike wondered, who could it be? Who could that be? The door opened, and in sauntered a tall drink of water, fiery red hair flowing from her milky scalp. Um, can I help you, miss? The mysterious stranger only smiled as she produced a straight razor from her jacket. Mike reacted suddenly, (gasps) and as... The fiery temptress of death raised the blade high in the air. It came slicing down upon Wilkerson's face. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. Dramatic. Mike accuses Nick of being over dramatic. We both get that, dude. If it's not at home, it's at work. I am not being over dramatic. What are you referring to? Why are you such a drama queen? <laughs> Thanks, honey. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll go sit over here and be menial. I'll be subdued over here. Hi. Thanks for noticing me.